If you would open your Bibles with me, we're uh, picking up in Leviticus chapter 12. Do a few announcements, uh, announcements I would like to make. And uh, first, I want you to know that um, the book that I wrote on Revelation, made plain and clear, is available on Kindle right now. And uh, so if you go there, just type in Revelation plain and clear, you can uh, get a copy of it. The reason I wrote the book is because Revelation is the only book of the Bible where we are given a promise to read it, to hear it, and to study it. And we're living in a time that the book of Revelation is relevant, maybe, than, maybe more than any other time in history. And yet, Revelation is probably the one book that even Christians steer away from because they think it's so complicated. And the reason they think it's complicated is because there have been traditions that have been passed down over the years that in order to really understand Revelation, you have to be able to go to this chapter, then back to this chapter, then over this chapter, then over here, and it's just so confusing. And I believe that I show in a clear way that the book of Revelation is in 100% chronological order. And if you look at it that way, it makes it so simple to understand. So um, I encourage you to, to look at the book, maybe encourage others that are interested in the book of Revelation. And also we have... Um, the men's and women's retreat, it's on the bulletin board out there. And I have to call this week and give them our final numbers. Ladies and gentlemen, I would really encourage you to go. It's a time to just step away from the world and to just be encouraged in the Word of God. And so I know the women, uh, they're meeting in September, the end of September. It's going to be a special time. And the price is so reasonable, there's no reason to miss it. It includes, you know, you arrive uh, there Friday, it includes your evening meal, it includes your breakfast in the morning and your lunch before you go home. And so, uh, and the same thing for the men. Uh, Pastor Frank and I will be both sharing uh, for the men's retreat, and uh, so we encourage you to come to, that as, come to that as well. Yeah, Donna was collecting the money. Uh, for the retreats, and, and they're away. In fact, Labor Day is the, is the biggest travel uh, ho- holiday of the year. Did you know that? Well, look around. <laughs> yeah, everybody's on, everybody's someplace. And uh, so Donna isn't here, Donna and Doug, so uh, you can bring the money next week. That's okay. You can sign up next week as well. Okay. What's it, what? Oh, yeah, Vi's just saying encouraging you to sign up. Because even if you can't bring the money today, sign up if you, if you would like to go so I know how many people to um, plan on. And also, um, there's a young woman from our uh, church who uh, had serious surgery, intestinal surgery, and we're trying to line up meals for her, for she and her family, uh, while she's recovering. And so if you'd be willing to help, either see Vi or Nikki and uh, to give a day and, and, you know, when you might be able to bring a meal. It's one of the ways we, as a church, have always tried to help people when they have that, especially when the woman goes down. You know, the man goes down, you don't even notice anything. You know, everything just keeps moving on the way it does. The woman goes down, and then all of a sudden everybody's hungry, they don't have clothes. and So let's uh, see Vi or Nikki for that as well. And um, also we have the pastor's conference coming up, and... 
there's brochures back there, and it's not just for pastors. It, it confuses people because it's called the Pastors Conference. It's pastors who are teaching. In fact, you're lucky if there's five or six pastors there. But it's a great conference. We have Joe Foch, we have John Randall, and um, some some commissized, some great people that are going to be speaking. And um, but it is um, on from Monday, and it ends Monday afternoon. It ends Wednesday. Uh, afternoon. So uh, if you're able to make it, sign up. And uh, and the reason I'd like you to let me know if you would like a, be, uh, a, a room, because I negotiate and I get really good prices for, for rooms. So if you're going and you would like a room, please tell me so I know how many to uh, sign up for. Okay. Oh, I almost forgot this. is so important. Um, Vi and I and Pastor Frank Jr. and Nikki and our families, we leave for vacation Friday. Yay! For us. <laughs> anyway, be praying because uh, a hurricane is barreling in inland, and of course we, we go to North Carolina, so be praying. Um, it's not like we worried about it before. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember last year we couldn't go to our vacation home because of a hurricane. So... And I, I was telling Vi yesterday, I said, shows how pitiful we are because we're saying, oh, Lord, please let this Category 5 hurricane hit Florida. And then you're thinking, wow, look at how selfish we are. You know, don't let it hit the Carolinas because we want to go on vacation, but devastate Florida, you know. So what I'm really praying is the Lord just turns it around and takes it back out to sea. That's the best prayer. But anyway, we're going, while we're gone, we're, we'll be gone next Sunday and the Sunday after that. But while we're gone, uh, we'll, we're having Steve Poppin from Calvary Chapel of the Finger Lakes come in and speak. He's, he's a great preacher, a great brother in the Lord. He's involved in the dirt bike ministry with Pastor Frank as well. But those two weeks we're gone, we go to one service. And so there will only be the 11 o'clock service. For the next two weeks, there will only be the 11 o'clock service. And um, so make sure you come. Because here's the thing. Pastor Frank and I might not be here, but hopefully the reason you come is for the Lord anyway. And guess what? He's going to be here. All right. I think that takes care of it. If you want to open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 12. Oh, yes, there's a sign-up sheet for the um, adult dinner night out as well. So make sure you sign up for that. Okay. Uh, you're welcome. So anyway, when we look into this portion of Scripture, one of the things we're going to be looking at is the sin offering. It had to be offered up for a child after it was born. You know, which brings up the whole topic of original sin. And it's so sad that some religious groups have taken their understanding of original sin to mean the this, this sin that took place between the uh, husband and wife in creating the child. And they say, oh, that's the original sin. No, no, that is not the original sin. As a matter of fact, God commanded man and woman to be what? Fruitful and multiply. So if God is giving the command for that relationship between a husband and wife, then guess what? That relationship isn't sinful. But 
The reason a sin offering was offered is because we are sinners. And when a child is born into the world, the child is born into the world as a sinner. Original sin goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And all of their progeny since then have been born sinners. We're all born sinners, and we'll see Scripture that verifies that. Now, um, Leviticus chapter 12, go to verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to... This is a, a tough portion, so have pity on me and help me. Not, you know. Anyway. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity she will be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin, the male child that was born, shall be circumcised. And, she, and, and, uh, and he shall then, she shall then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. She shall not touch any, um, any hallowed thing, uh, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean uh, two weeks in her customary, uh, as in her customary impurity, and she shall continue in the blood of her purification for 66 days. When the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering and a young pigeon or turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meetings. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her, and she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. Then the law, then, uh, the law of, of her who has become... Um, I'm sorry. This is the law for her who has born a male or a female. And if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she will bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. One is a burnt offering, which is the thank offering, and the other as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Now, when we look at this, we recognize that the sin offering that was presented at the child's birth was not for the fact of the mother and father having relations in order to produce the child. It's for the fact that this child was born a sinner, born into the world as a sinner, just like all of us were. In fact, we find in Psalm 51.5, it says this, Surely I was sinful from my birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And um, all we humans, we have to understand, all we're capable of is producing sinners, right? You can't say, well, you know, my wife and I are just so holy and righteous that we produce a special one. <laughs> All any of us are capable of reproducing are sinners. Children do not have to be taught to sin. Right? Do you know what a baby's first cry is when they're first born? A baby's first cry is, Me! I mean, it really is. And that's the way it is. God created you know, this process, but when a child is first born, what are they concerned about? I'm hungry. I need my diaper changed. I need to be held. I need to be warm. I need to go to sleep. You know, 
And so that is the reality of it. In Hebrews, it brings this out in, in chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. Because here's the point that I wanted to make, is the only one who is capable of producing a child who was sinless is God. And there was only one child ever born of the Holy Spirit, and that's Jesus Christ. And he was born sinless. But even Jesus, through the humanity of his mother, had the ability, or whether you want to call it ability, had the disadvantage of being tempted by sin. Did you know that? He was born sinless, but he was capable of being tempted by sin, which is what we're going to read in Hebrews 4. I'd like you to turn there. Hebrews chapter 4, and uh, go to verse 15. Hebrews 4, go to verse 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Romans. Hebrews, just before James, 4, 15, and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So this is making it very clear Jesus can sympathize with our temptation because he was tempted in every way as we were, but yet without sin. He was born sinless, and he never committed sin. And we are born sinners, and we commit sin. That's the reason that we need a sacrifice for our sin. And the only real sacrifice for sin is one who was sinless. The perfect Lamb of God, John the Baptist called him, Jesus Christ. And when he hung on that cross, all of our sin and transgression was hung on that cross with him. And through the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed freely, no one took it from him, that he shed freely, we've been washed clean. And yet Jesus understood temptation, so he understands where we're coming from. And that's one of the reasons that we can be encouraged as believers. You don't have to be perfect. You'll never be perfect. None of us will ever be perfect. There's only one who walked this terrestrial ball who was perfect, and it's not us. And so we need to recognize that his redemptive act was that we might be willing, humble enough to confess when we make a mistake. That's why, you know, you've heard me quote this what? maybe 6,000 times, something like that. First uh, John 1, 9, if, if is a requirement. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so the reality is that we as sinners have to have the humility to go before the Lord and say, I'm guilty, Jesus, forgive me. You know, a child, a mother walks in the room and says, okay, which one of you ate that last cookie? And the kids go, and then behind your back, you're going. But for us, when Jesus said, who took that cookie or who committed that sin, we need to say, it was me, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, a sinner. And the point is, he does. The reality, as we try to pull back and hide our sin from the Lord, it just makes things worse. Rather than coming out and just saying, Lord, here I am, a sinner, forgive me. And he does, and he purifies us because he understands. 
You know, and this is one of the problems we have with what we call secular psychology. Secular psychology comes out with the, came out with the concept that you're born a clean slate, just as pure as the driven snow. And then it's your environment that causes you to become bad. And so then we have to teach you how to overcome your bad environment. Biblically and in reality, we are born sinners. And we have to be taught to do good. And that's why God has given us his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us preachers. He's given us evangelists. He's given us other believers that are able to share the truth of God's word with us that we might learn what is good and pleasing to the Lord. It's what we have to learn. And so it's not just because, well, the only reason I'm this way is because somebody did that. I'll tell you the reason you're that way is because you are that way. It's nobody's fault. The minute we stop pointing fingers at others to blame them for whatever problems we have, we're on the road to victory. The minute we're able to say, it was me, Lord, we have forgiveness. That's what the Word of God is teaching us. Think about this. Now, is a cat a cat because it meows, or does it meow because it's a cat? Get my point? We're, you know, do, we sin because we're sinners. That's what we are. And it's only God who provides a way out, not only for the forgiveness of our sin, but for the victory. Because here's the point, is we should be going, Scripture talks about going from victory to victory. We should be having victory. In other words, uh, you, you've probably heard this before. I'm not what I was, but I'm also not what I shall be. And, of course, the final shall be is when we're glorified with the Lord. But there should be some kind of a growing process in our life. doesn't mean we don't have setbacks. doesn't mean we don't have little, you know, uh, places that we fall off the edge for a minute and have to crawl back on. That's why Scripture makes it clear. When you fall to sin, you don't have to go back to the beginning. You get up right where you fell and keep moving forward. That's what the Word of God teaches. But yet it does teach that it is this growing process. And I've used this analogy before, but it's a good analogy. If you like baseball, which not as many people do today as they used to, but if you like baseball, if you had someone who's batting 350, 400, you'd be saying, wow, they are a great hitter. Well, if they're batting 350 or 400, that means they get on base 35 to 40% of the time. Over half the time, they don't, and we consider that good. You know what I'm saying? So the reality is we are in a growing process. All of us can look at things in our past that we've had victory over. And all of us can look at the present and realize there are things we still need to have victory over. But it's important for us to always see our need. It's a motivation to recognize that we have further to go. We have a need in order to be you know, victorious over these particular areas of our life. But I think sometimes what happens, like for instance, when I first got saved, I was a real 
I, I, I smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. I was drunk, you know, every weekend for the whole weekend. And I had all these big issues, and the Lord gave me victory over those big issues. And then sometimes when you start having victory over those big issues, you fail to see and recognize the need of dealing with these little issues, these other issues. Because maybe they might not be that big to you, but they might be that big to someone else. So our prayer always has to be, Lord, here I am. Show me my need. And you, give me the power, give me the strength by your Holy Spirit to have victory over those needs. Because, I mean, I don't want to really go off here, but I I really feel compelled to share this. The Church of Jesus Christ today has become very lax. Now, I'm not talking about legalism, because legalism is about as far from grace and mercy as you can imagine. But the reality is, in the church today, there have been things that we have just accepted. For instance, fornication, adultery, drunkenness. There's always reasons that those are okay. You know, lying, slandering, covetousness. You know, scampering to to you know to get this or inclined to get that. Well, it's different. No, it's not. The greatest treasure you can have is Jesus Christ. And there's nothing better that you can attain to. There's no one who you can reach out to more than Jesus Christ. But the wonderful thing is, we could make mistakes in all those areas. And all we have to do is cry out to Jesus. But we have to understand the word repent is literally taken from the the Greek word that means to turn around. So the thing is, if you repent of something, the idea is you stop doing it. That's the whole idea. I mean, you don't say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But sometimes there is a process. And, And just a silly example, like when I, many years ago, thank the Lord, um, when I gave up smoking, I used to tell people, quitting is easy. I quit every Monday. And the joke was that every Monday, I'd be, next Monday, I'd be back at it. You know, next week, I'd be back at it again. But there was that one Monday that I quit and never smoked again. There was that one day that I quit drinking and never drank again. You follow the point I'm making? There has to be that struggle against sin to have the victory, to walk the way the Lord wants us to walk. And the thing we also have to understand, if you don't have a reason or purpose for having strong morals, they won't last. You can have all the strong morals in the world that you can imagine, but then the right temptation, time goes on, situations, difficulties, whatever it might be, and bam, you fall. Because there needs to be a reason for strong morals. And I always remember years ago, way many, 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 many years ago, when I was a school teacher, and there was this one girl in my class, sweet girl, she was salutatorian of her graduating class, just a great girl, and she was known as being a real goody girl. You know what I'm saying? She didn't do anything. She was just, she was a good student, she was just great. But she wasn't saved, she wasn't a Christian. And when she went off to college... She went wild. And the only reason I know all this is her mother was one of the substitutes at the school, and her husband and this girl's father were very prominent in the community. 
And she told me, I don't understand. She just went wild. And I, and I shared with her that you have to have a reason to be good other than just for goodness sake. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, I, I want to be good just to be good. Well, then if the right temptation or situation comes up, you can turn your back on that. But if your purpose and reason for being good, I'm using that as a very loose term, for being good, is because you love Jesus. You have a reason to be good. I love my Savior, and I want to be like him. That's our reason for being good. Now, it's interesting. In this portion, it talks about a child being uh, circumcised on the eighth day. And people say, you know, I wonder, why, why the eighth day? Well, there actually was a reason. Because there's a bacteria in the intestine of a male child that actually produces vitamin K produces vitamin K from the seventh to the seventh day. And the highest concentration of vitamin K in that child's system is on the eighth day. And that mixed with prothrombin is the clotting factor. And so when a child was circumcised on the eighth day, they wouldn't bleed much. If you circumcise a child before that, it could be bleed a lot, maybe infection and so forth. But what they do now, you know, people say, well, they circumcise a child right in the hospital. Well, they give them vitamin K before they do the circumcision or right, right after. So that's there. But it's so amazing to me because God knew, because he's God and created us, that a child should be circumcised on the eighth day before science even knew why. I mean, it's only, you know, <laughs> lately... You know, in the past hundred years, this science even knew why you circumcised on the eighth day. Why was that? So it just shows God's God. I mean, he knew, he knew the medical reasons before, uh, before man did, that's for sure. And um, one of the things we also have to understand is um, that circumcision isn't what saved the child. You understand that. That was a covenant relationship between God and man, but it wasn't circumcision. That was circumcision was the parents' part of showing their belief in God. It's just like when you bring a child forward to be dedicated to the Lord. That's not the child's you know, responsibility. It's the parents. The parents saying, I'm dedicating this child to the Lord. And so when a child was circumcised on the eighth day, a male child, and the parents were coming in and saying, I'm dedicating this child to the Lord. But there comes a time when that child is of an age and has the ability to choose that they need to choose. Because if you do not choose Christ, you do not have Christ. Now, fortunately, Scripture teaches us that a child before the age of accountability or some children who might have um, uh, some birth defects that never have the capability of making a decision, they're covered by the grace of God. And we know this from um, a couple of verses. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, I remember uh, David had a, a, a son with Bathsheba, and the child was dying. And David just laid on the floor weeping and, and, anointing, you know, and just crying and, and anointing himself with oil for his um, son you know, to be healed. And his son wasn't healed. His son died. And um, so David spoke these words after his son died. But now that he is dead, his son, 
Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Now listen to this. I will go to him, but he will not return to me. In other words, David is saying when this child died, he's with the Lord. Or at that time, he is in paradise. He's there. I'm going to go to paradise because I love the Lord, but that child can't come back to me. He's making it clear where the child is. And then in in Matthew, Frank uh, mentioned this verse uh, in the morning service. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came right out and said, these little ones, they're mine. They're going to go to heaven. They're with me. There's another verse that says he carries the lambs in his arms. Because understand, there's no such place as limbo. I'm in limbo in between. You know, well, a child who who dies hasn't really had a chance to get saved, but yet they haven't really, you know, they're just children, so they just go to this place called limbo. There's no such place. It is not in Scripture. When a child under the age of accountability dies, they're with Jesus Christ. And if we're believers, we'll join them. That's an awesome promise we have. Now, it's interesting. It says, uh, after childbirth, a woman was unclean for 33 days for a male and 66 days for a female child. And we might say, why is that? And my honest answer is, I don't know. I, I, I searched and I looked and I went through scriptures and looked at commentaries. I really, the only answer that anyone had was that possibly circumcision cut off the, you know, cut out, not, no pun intended, cut out some of the days of impurity. You know what I'm saying? But we don't really know why, but that was the case. And um, now also, um, let me see, here we go. Um, it's so interesting that when we see this um, purifying process for, the, for women, Sometimes we think, well, that's so unfair. Look at how God's talking about women, you know, and their uncleanness. That's just so degrading to women. No, it's not. It wasn't at all if you really understood the law of that time. As a matter of fact, it was a very wonderful thing. Because here's the thing, ladies. You know why um, God made man first? He wanted to get a rough draft before he did it. His real work. Anyway, um, someone told me that this morning. But the point was, you know, when a woman was uh, unclean after having a child for uh, 33 days for male, 66 days for female, or during her monthly time of uncleanness and she had to, she had to go outside the camp for a week, guess what, ladies? It was like a vacation. When a woman was outside the camp for her monthly uncleanness, she didn't do any work. She didn't touch anything. Her family had to take care of her children and her husband, and she was just outside the camp, and meals were provided for her, and she just hung out until her time was over with, her seven days. I mean, really think about it, ladies. Can you imagine if one day a month you just said to your family, see you later? And you went away and you had a, had a week of just, hey, just hanging out. And the same thing was true 
uh, after childbirth because you think about it, a woman is, is uh, trying to recover herself physically. She has a small baby, you know, taking care of that child. And it gives her that time period alone with that child to bond with the child and to help bring the child um, into greater health. So rather than being degrading to women, it was very loving. You know, so often we, you have to understand God's very nature is what? Love. And so whatever he does is always for a good purpose. Now, notice that this was one time, one of the only times, that a woman offered a sacrifice for herself and for her child. It was the woman who offered the sacrifice. The burnt offering was given to God as the giver of life, thanking him for the life that was born, thanking him for this new life that had come into the world. Because even though we're born sinners, a child is a gift from God and our responsibility to bring up in the admonition of the Lord. And that child becomes a, a believer and he's a child or she's a child of God. They belong to Jesus. They truly are a gift. But we have that responsibility to, to train them up in the way they should go. And um, so anyway, uh, the burnt offering, that's what that was for. And then you also had the sin offering. Now, the sin offering was not for original sin in that sense. The sin offering was for the fact that this child was born a sinner. And it was the first time sin offering was made for the child. And then all the rest of his life, sin offering would be made for him. For you and I as believers, we have a one-time sin offering that was made for us. And it's called the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And by his blood, we've been washed clean. We're born again. We have this seal and deposit of the Holy Spirit. If you die as a believer, you're going right straight to heaven. If the sound of that trumpet went, you're going to be changed and meet the Lord, Lord in the air. That's the promise we have of God. Hallelujah. How wonderful that is. And um, notice the grace of God here. If a woman didn't have a lamb, she could offer another turtle dove. In other words, if she didn't have the means to buy a lamb, she could offer a turtle dove. And God received that as the same offering as the lamb. That's how gracious and loving God is. Now, one of the things that's interesting, it points out the fact that Joseph and Mary were poor. Because if you go back and you read the Gospels, you're going to find that when they came to give their offering, Mary offered two turtle doves, some will say two pigeons, same, but that's what she offered, which showed that they were poor. But here's the bottom line. You can be rich in all the trinkets of this world and have nothing. And you can be poor in the things of this world, but rich in the treasures of God, and you have everything. You have everything. What is more awesome than knowing you're a believer? I mean, what a beautiful thing to see your children. You know, I'm not going to get into too much, you know, kind of thing. But like last night, Frank and Nikki and all of his children just popped in our living room. And we just sat there and laughed and talked. And I mean, how awesome was that? That was better than, you know, you know what I mean? It's better than taking a trip to Europe. Just to have that time together and to know they're all believers, most of them. No, <laughs> just to know they're all believers and loving, loving. I had a little question about their dad, but um, 
But no, seriously, all believers sitting in that one room laughing and just enjoying one another. You know what the greatest treasure is, brothers and sisters, is one another. That's the greatest treasure. One another. Our families and one another. How wonderful it is to be in communion and like faith with other people. You know, one of the things we have to realize as believers is that it's our responsibility to spread that love to people. Now, sometimes there are some people that are hard to like. Well, the point is, we still need to spread the love of Jesus Christ to those people. Right? I mean, I'm sure there are some people who don't like me. I can't imagine who it might be, but... No, I'm sure, no, seriously, I'm sure there's some people that don't like me, and that's okay. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord, hopefully, and if they're not a brother or sister in the Lord, they're going to hell anyway. But no, <laughs> you get my point. We are to love people. Jesus Christ came to this earth not because, well, I'm going to come to earth because there's a whole bunch of really nice people there that I like that I want to save. He came to earth to save everyone. He came to earth to minister to everyone. And everything we read in the law is so encouraging to bring us into that right and beautiful relationship with the Lord. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for the encouragement that we find in it. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would use the teaching this morning to bring us to a place of absolute surrender to you, knowing that we aren't what we once were, But, Lord, we're not what you would desire us to be. Help us to continue running the race, continue moving forward in you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends.